0: Seu my soul is stand as we sing one more song before kevin comes to preach from the book of colossians and may this be our prayer that we would be so consumed by our lord that we would never cease to praise seated our children through fifth grade. May exit now to attend Children's Church.
1: Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Kevin Cohane. I am the Director of Ministry Operations here at South Shore Baptist Church, uh, Domo for short. Um, And yeah, I'm one of the uh, gentlemen who has the privilege of serving you from the pulpit this summer as Cody is on sabbatical. Um, I want to address a couple things before I start. Uh, First one is I'll be preaching from the ESV today, and I'll explain why that is in in just a little bit. It's very similar to the CSB, so no translation uh, chaos here or anything like that. But if you're following along in the Pew Bible in front of you, The text this morning is on page 1043, so if you want to flip there, you can. The second thing this morning, um, it may take me a little longer to state this one, but um, some of you may know this already, but our dear brother Matt Dorn uh, passed away and went to be with the Lord on Thursday evening. I'll get there, don't worry. <laughs> There's no shortage uh, of ways that Matt and his wife Grace uh, served this church during their, their time here. Um, And I can't keep talking about that for obvious reasons, but Matt was a devoted follower of Christ, and would you please be praying for Matt, for Grace, for their son, Chris, uh, for his wife, Sammy, and for their three children, Matt's three grandchildren. Uh, Matt was 60 years old, and uh, he will be dearly missed. Would you pray with me as we sit under God's word this morning? Lord, we give you thanks that in this gathering, the spirit is at work. We pray that spirit would be moving through prayer, through preaching, through song, and through the powerful words of Scripture. Lord, our time, would you make our time gathered this morning as the body of Christ, a time where we can bring you glory, a time where we are reminded of the unique mercy, grace, conviction, encouragement, and fellowship of a life given to you in response to Christ's atoning work on our behalf. Lord, would you show us the importance of the book of Colossians this morning and throughout this summer? And would you use it to change and shape this bride of Christ in the ways that would honor you? Lord, would you be near to all of those searching for hope and relief today? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So our text this morning is Colossians 1, through 2, 3. And again, if you have that pew Bible in front of you, it's page 1043. But Paul shifts into this section of Colossians on the heels of him speaking to being a servant or a minister of the gospel in verse 23 of chapter 1 where we ended last week where Mike led us through. But there's also many ways in which this section here springboards from the passage that Vincent preached to us two weeks ago, verses 1 through 14 in chapter 1. And here Paul is starting to get back towards addressing some of the specifics that the Colossian and Laodicean churches uh, are battling, what these believers are, are up against. Paul is diving back into their need to hold steadfastly to the gospel of Jesus Christ who was crucified for our sins who rose again to fulfill the prophecies and ascended to the right hand in order to one day return again and bring the sons and daughters of the Father home to heaven. That is the very shortened version of the preeminence of Christ that we read about and studied through last Sunday. So let's read together this morning beginning in verse 24, and I'm actually going to read us through verse 5 of chapter 2, which I'll elaborate on in a minute. But Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, For the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. So now as as we start to dig in, I'll explain why the the ESV, and why I read those two extra verses there, um, and it could very well seem like a, an academic reason, or a nerdy reason, or something that only pastors would notice, uh, which is not true, because I'm not a pastor, so you don't get a <laughs> cop out here. Um, but hear me out, and again, since I have the microphone, you have to hear me out, so there's that, but from verse 24, uh, 124, through chapter 2, verse 5, there's a literary technique or pattern called a chiasm. So that's, for those of you who like to take notes, that is C-H-I-A-S-M, chiasm. The reason a chiasm would be used is to highlight through repetition in a forward and then reverse pattern the purpose of a narrative, the purpose of a, a story that's being told. And therefore, I think we have to give consideration this morning uh, to the emphasis that Paul highlights through using this chiasm technique. And just so you know, this is not exclusive here to Colossians. This is something that you'd see at different narratives throughout the Bible, especially some of the early narratives in the book of Genesis. Um, So you don't need to see every chiasm in the Bible to understand it or anything like that. But it can be an insight that you didn't have before. So you can uh, maybe be on the lookout for those uh, and ask your pastors, not me, questions about them. But yeah, so the, the ESV includes this all in one section where the CSB breaks it up just a little. So that's why I read from the ESV this morning. Uh, but I'm going to also give you a graphic uh, so you have a visual of what I'm talking about. should be up there. But this is from... Uh, Dr. Douglas Moo's commentary on Colossians, and you'll see, maybe, there it is. <clears throat> you'll see that the chiasm has a ABC, CBA layout. So again, it goes forward in a direction and then reverses back. So you'll see where the, the A portions talk about rejoicing and in the, in the flesh or the body, uh, and then the B sections talk about making known or the knowledge and the riches and the mystery, uh, and that's in 127, uh, and then I had a typo there, so the, the second part we'll get to later, but that's in chapter 2, and then the C's uh, have to do with contend or contending or, or fighting or struggling. Uh, so we'll, we'll dive into those more, but the, the Greek for these words aligns very directly, even though they may be ever so slightly different. Uh, in the, the English words that we're reading. Um, but again, why this all this ancient Greek, academic, mumbo-jumbo, whatever it is? Uh, I believe that Paul does this intentionally. I believe that it's done to highlight the emphasis for us, and it marries what we are to preach to one another as a result of this passage in Colossians. So where, where we'll go today, where... where I believe the Lord is leading us is that we need to understand and grapple with the fact that our suffering and our struggles are to be used to spread the gospel and strengthen our love for God. Let me say that again. We need to understand that our suffering and our struggles are to be used to spread the gospel and strengthen our love for God, And before we dive into the passage and more of how to do that, I want to take a moment to address what I think is something important. There's not a soul in the room today that isn't suffering or struggling. There are some who are facing battles that are more severe than others. There are things all throughout this room, cancer mental health, physical handicaps, loss of loved ones, broken marriages, broken families. If I asked each of us to write our sufferings and struggles on a piece of paper, spoil alert, that piece of paper would end up looking much more like a scroll than the piece of paper. And if we all then took that scroll and took turns one by one and and came up here somewhere in front of the pulpit maybe or on the stairs there, and we unraveled that thing, how far would it go? Would it go to the, the back doors there? Would it go to the fellowship hall? Would it make a trek down the stairs and maybe into the children's wing? It would be a long, long list. But we don't like to think of ourselves that way. We certainly don't want others to think we have problems like that. But if we're going to understand how God intends our suffering and our struggles in Colossians, then we have to give up and quit the act of presenting the best and most put together version of ourselves to the people around us. The Lord's convicted me of this through this text, and I'll I'll give you two examples. First, there's probably only a small amount of you in this room that know this about me, but I have some significant struggles with anxiety or panic attacks. So there, I've used myself as an example, and to be clear, this is not about me at all. But I said that because I think it probably came as a surprise to some of you in this room. And now here's the thing, your surprise comes from either probably one, that I would admit such a thing here, which one, pastors would probably tell you not to do, and then it would just be crazy that you'd say such a thing out loud in a public forum. Or your surprise might come from two, the fact that you didn't think that that would be something that I, the person that you know, struggle with. But again, regardless of my struggle, what this highlights, I think, is the problem's that we have with how we operate around our sufferings and our struggles. And secondly, I've been, <laughs> you heard this a little already, but I've been battling sorrow and grief over the past 48 hours since I heard that Matt Dorn had passed away. I consider Matt, Grace, Chris, Sammy, Chris's wife, and their three kids uh, to be family, frankly, um, And Matt and Grace treated me like a son, Chris treated me like a brother, but I find it to be God's sovereignty that not only am I preaching today, but I'm preaching this passage today. I won't always cry this much when I preach, I promise. Um <clears throat> But what a statement of God's handiwork. You have one sinner rescued by Christ who sought to share the gospel passing away. And a product of his obedience to God, another sinner rescued by Christ tasked with preaching that same gospel message to many more. So I want you to follow along today as we work through the text, but I want you to remember and consider what are your sufferings and what are your struggles. So, Paul starts this text, right? Starts us in verse 24 with great intention. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's full of conviction that his sufferings are for the spread of the gospel. Based on the dates of Paul's missionary journeys and, and what scholars would agree about the dates of those things, and, or those journeys, and, and the writing of this letter, the Colossian church is probably about seven to ten years old. So this congregation is full of new converts, even those who are leading the church. And they're the ones wrestling with the false teachings that Vincent referred to a few weeks ago as we began Colossians, and as you'll continue to hear about in the weeks to come, uh, I think probably especially from Larry as he preaches to us over the next two weeks. But this church was born out of God's working in the hearts of Gentiles. So Paul is rejoicing in the purpose of this suffering. He doesn't focus on the suffering itself. In fact, as you may remember, Paul is imprisoned for his faith while writing this letter. So I think we have plenty of evidence or proof of what he's focusing on. But he dives even further into his understanding of his purpose and commission for God to be a servant and minister of the spread of the gospel. And now something may have struck you there in verse 24 as well, may have caused a little bit of confusion or concern, and it's the language there that says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So this certainly could have come across as a controversial statement to you. You could have thought to yourself, did Paul just say that something was lacking in, in Christ's work, in his death, in his, his resurrection, uh, is... is how does this coincide and, and fit alongside the gospel message that we know Paul preaches? Well, the, that verb there, to fill up, uh, or I am filling up, or uh, exactly how it presents in your translation, it's, it's something very close to that. It's very complex, and this is actually the only time it's used in the New Testament in, in this form, in this way. And I think the best way for us to understand it this morning uh, is is something along these lines. That Paul, as a follower of Christ, is, as promised, enduring suffering on behalf of the church for his devotion to the gospel. And you don't have to turn with me, but if you would like to, there's similar language to give us some context used in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, just literally a few pages before where we are, maybe two or three or four, depending on your Bible. But in Philippians 2, Paul is talking about Epaphroditus, a dear brother who was serving the spread of the gospel just as he was. And at the very end of chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 28. He says this about Epaphroditus he says i am more eager i am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that i may be less anxious so receive him in the lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me so that end there to complete what was lacking That is uh, similar, very closely similar to what Paul is using here in verse 24. And so I think he is is leading us to understand that this is the call that Christ has put on us, that we will suffer to continue to, to fill up what Christ cannot as he is now seated at the right hand. Then we look at verses 25 through 27. Paul begins to state that God has converted and commissioned him to make known the riches of the mystery of Jesus Christ. And some of you may remember, but the the first and most recent time that I preached from this pulpit was on January 9th, 2022. Uh, Does anyone remember what I preached? It was from the book of Acts, good. It's uh, preached from Acts 9. And Acts 9 is where Saul becomes a gentleman that we now know as Paul. It was Acts 9 that gives us this account of God calling and commissioning Paul to be a unique gospel witness to the Gentile people. And to be clear, I did not plan this. This was totally how it worked out. So, But Acts 9 is where, where we see the story of, of Paul's salvation. But it's only on the other side of Christ's life and death and work that there begins to be any realization that the gospel will truly go forth, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. I mean, if you think about it, the Gentiles in those days, they would have never been seen as having access to, to become a part of God's people. And it wouldn't have just been the Jewish people that thought that way. The Gentiles themselves would have largely been closed off to the idea of the promised Messiah or the God of the Old Testament or the laws that were given to the Jewish people. But we need to see this morning that Paul very clearly saw bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who did not know him as what I would consider to be one half of his purpose here on earth. But we also need to realize that just as Paul was converted and commissioned by God, if we are believers, then we have too. We've been converted and commissioned as well. So as we look at the very very end of chapter 1, we get into verses 28 and 29. Paul begins to emphasize this this toil, this work, this labor, this contending that we briefly mentioned earlier. He is contending for everyone to come to maturity in Christ. He begins in verse 28. He says, Him we proclaim. Now we can take that. We can easily read it and kind of take it in as him we align with or him we speak about when appropriate. But did you know that proclamation at its core is official and public? Think about when you scream for uh, a loved one or a child or whomever as they're competing in some sort of competition. Think about the vows that you may have made on your wedding day to commit solely to the one individual staring back at you. And you can think about a litany of other ways where we might proudly proclaim something about ourselves. It could be our our heritage or an accomplishment that we have. It could be anything. But these things that we proclaim usually make sense to be proud of. Christ doesn't at all. When Paul was was Saul, again thinking about Acts 9, Saul was quite proud, to be frank, of his malicious works towards Christians, towards Christianity. But now as Paul, he's proud that he was undeservingly saved by God. that the incarnate God was the one who came and made a way for him to be in right standing with the father despite his heart and actions being so grotesque and so full of sin so as Christians when we think about it being proud enough to proclaim Christ what does that mean I think it means we have to be humbled enough to realize that we are hopeless without him. That 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 pride, that being proud in what Christ has done for us means that we have to truly die to the pride of self. Christ provided all that we have. It's really as simple as that. And Paul doubles down on the point here at the end of chapter 1. He places great emphasis on the fact that he proclaims this gospel, but with the energy and effort that only God provides. Look at the language at the end of this chapter. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That, those words, that language implies that Paul understands how God is actively working through us. He's, he's, one, helping us to find opportunities to witness to others. But he's also, two, aiding us, strengthening us, giving us all that we need in the execution of that witnessing. So it's important to understand that regardless of of giftedness, right? Some of us may be great evangelists in the room. uh, Some of us may not. But regardless of that, the evangelistic aspect of following Christ is is a non-negotiable here. It's a part of the fabric of new life in Christ. So as we we think about this this section in chapter 1 we have to sit in in something hard and we have to ask ourselves if we use and see our sufferings and our struggles as opportunities to spread the gospel so to be clear this is obviously a hard task but it's a command Paul understood it and do you know who else understood it? Jesus did Apart from Jesus' suffering, there's no salvation. Not for Paul, not for any of us in this room. There's no evangelism, there's no hope. So, then why is it that we so often shy away from sharing these sufferings or struggles and how, in spite of them, we trust in God for hope, for recovery? and for sovereignty in them. If we were to look at, at Lamentations 3, that would give us some insight into how we can process suffering. This won't be on the screen, but you can, you can listen along. Just a few verses from Lamentations 3, 21 through 25. It says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And we would have just sang similar things, right, in, in any, any one of the songs we just sang. But even in, in I Will Wait For You, Psalm 130, Mike read from Psalm 130, and then, and then we, we sang the words of that psalm, and in there we sang, his steadfast love has made a way, and God himself has paid the price, that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice. So, look, we can, we can see cancer, right, as a disease or as a diagnosis. Or we can see cancer as an opportunity to witness to doctors, nurses, family members, friends. We can see battles with anxiety or depression or OCD or bipolar disorder or disordered eating or any other mental health suffering as condemning to us, or we can see them as an opportunity to share hope in Christ with not only ourselves, but with others going through these same things. Strife and conflict within families or friends can be filled with animosity and division, or they can be an opportunity for reconciliation and forgiveness that only makes sense when God is at the center. And death can be final and grief-stricken. But death of a fellow brother or sister in Christ can be the cause for rejoicing and remembering. So church, that's our first challenge today, is to understand that as believers, we need to use these things to spread the gospel. And then as we look at chapter 2, Paul again goes back to using this, this competing, this fighting, this contending, this struggling for, for his fellow believers. And it's so clear to see his heart and his posture towards these believers in Colossae and in Laodicea. He's spiritually fighting for them from afar. He hasn't even been there yet. And he's not going to get there. (laughs) But he loves them. He's yearning for them, as as he writes here, that their hearts would be encouraged and that they would be knit together in love. So just as Paul talked about at the end of chapter 1 competing to win mature Christ followers. You know, he, he in, at the end of 28, he says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He now turns the focus to our fellow believers. Paul knows the critical importance of carrying his fellow brothers and sisters in prayer and in heart. As Paul sits in the jail cell when he's writing this letter, um, I'm going to take a little liberty here, but I'm going to presume that as we can see him, almost visualize him writing this letter to the churches, that he wasn't concerned about his next meal, he wasn't concerned about the sores or pains of being bound in a cell, likely, or he wasn't even concerned if he was going to be martyred for this faith that he had. He was so intently focused on encouraging his fellow believers. He was, wanted to equip them with the wisdom that God had given to him so that they could carry on once he could not. And then starting in, in the latter half of verse 2, Paul again is is speaking of this language of uh, to make known or to have knowledge and the riches and the mystery. All of this language, we saw it in in chapter 1, now we're seeing it again in chapter 2. He's pointing the gathered believers of the local church to together gain a more full assurance and understanding of all, all that who God is, and all that he does. In many ways, he's, he's, again, doubling down on what we heard from Mike last week about the preeminence of Christ, this glorious, mysterious power and the nature of the triune God. But if we read verse 3 there, verse 3, "...in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." If we aren't struck by the importance of it, then we aren't listening. That in whom, right, is Jesus Christ. And we need to remind our, ourselves of that, remind each other of it. But to be honest, we've, we've probably all heard the, the term or the phrase or, or generally are familiar with the idea of the Sunday school answer, right? The concept is somewhat generally that no matter the question, and uh, there's, there's uh, and oftentimes in the example, right, it might be a child, but there's a child who's eager to, to respond, to answer the question that's asked, and they just respond, Jesus, right? Well, the funny thing is we, we laugh at that and, and laugh at them, not in a demeaning way, but they have it right. All the wisdom and knowledge is in Christ. And we smart adults can tend to make it a little bit more complex than that. Every single one of us, child or adult, is foolish, lost, and hopeless apart from Christ. And so then at the, at the very end of this chapter, in chapter 2, which, which you'll hear a little bit more about next week from, from Larry... Paul circles back to this, this rejoicing in this body-flesh language. In, in 5 he says, uh, verse 5, For though I am absent in body, again, he, he hasn't been, he's not there now and, and he hasn't been there yet. He says, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul is, is speaking that even though he's not there with them, He's a part of the larger body of Christ with them. And in spirit, he's rejoicing over their steadfastness to Jesus Christ and the gospel. So, that then ties the the bow on the second thing we need to focus on, which is we need to suffer and struggle together to strengthen one another. So, There's a whole laundry list of things that that we can prioritize in our lives, especially in in the context that we live in. It could be our jobs, vacations, recreational activities, some other passion of some kind or or hobby. And I'm not saying quit your job, don't ever rest, abandon your physical or creative outlets or anything like that, right? Right? But, but to think about setting a, 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 a bar, right, and even this may be low, but do we at least do these things around the church calendar, for lack of a better term? I'm not saying that we're all failing if we haven't sold our possessions and become a missionary somewhere far away, though that shouldn't be as crazy as you all just thought it was. I'm just saying we can mark our calendars with Bible study, with prayer groups, with outreach opportunities, with important church member meetings, with chances to serve the church. And we can mark those things before we mark our vacations and the other things that would require us to travel or taking a, a job or a promotion that might be highly restrictive or whatever else you may be facing or deciding. And again, I'm not saying you can't do these things, right? God may be putting you there exactly for his purpose. But so often the world can tell us that these things are more important. But we as Christians have to consider the validity of them after weighing the cost to our gathering with the body of Christ, whether on a Sunday or at another time. And Paul is doing this to remind us that our joy, our joy, we may get little bits of joy as we gather, but he's reminding us that our joy comes in heaven, not on this earth. When you read the few verses to begin chapter 2, you can feel Paul's heart. And again, these people he barely knows. So if we're honest with ourselves, do we have the zeal and longing for the fellow people in these pews? It's a difficult question to ask. Never mind the, our fellow missionaries or brothers and sisters across America, across the globe, whatever it is. That's a, it's a difficult question to ask. But it falls in line with something that that Vincent asked us two weeks ago. I don't know if you remember this, but he asked, how do we pursue holiness? The answer is that we fight for it. And here, Paul is literally... If, you know if you're if you're looking at the Greek even more specifically he 's literally speaking of fighting for these fellow believers because of how deeply entrenched this conviction is that the rich mystery of Christ making it known, having that knowledge, is the only thing that matters this side of eternity. Do you feel that way and to be honest we will haven 't an opportunity to, to practice what Paul is preaching here in chapter 2. After the service, uh, you can join Pastor Steve and the prayer team, who's usually over here to my left. You can join them in lifting up the Oschleger family in prayer. And I'll also welcome you to join me down here to my right if you want to pray for the Dorn family. Or you can stay exactly where you are, whether by yourself, with others around you, and pray by yourself or in that group for any fellow Christians you know in this room or halfway across the globe who need our prayer and our care. And now, having said those things, there are... Almost certainly folks here this morning who don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ don't fully believe and understand that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead and that he ascended to heaven in order to one day return and call Christians home to heaven. This work of Christ, this this mystery, the riches of this mystery unto each and every one of us as sinful people who are unable to earn forgiveness from God. If, if you're someone who, who doesn't understand that, then you're, you're likely not to, to, to join us in praying to God this morning. But since you're here, let me ask, how do you face the sufferings and struggles that you have what gives you any hope? Where do you find joy? Is it in a relationship of some kind? Is it in the, the, the physical or mental capabilities or, or acumen that you have? The thing is that many things in this life can be temporary relief from a physical or emotional pain. And many things can bring temporary satisfaction from emptiness or through the roller coaster of life. But I can say with full confidence, as does Paul, that there's only one way to eternal relief and satisfaction, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's why our church will gather Sunday after Sunday, and I hope that you see your need this morning, and join us in praying and rejoicing for Sundays to come. But I want to read from another writing of Paul's, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 15, and if you want to follow along, it's a a few books prior to Colossians, uh, but you can also just listen along as I read, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body. The death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed And so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So again, two weeks ago, Vincent stood up here and he asked us if we truly anticipate heaven. So I'm going to ask us all again do we truly anticipate heaven? We should, as believers. It's the fulfillment of the gospel that we believe in, that we've given our life to. And we often say things like on that day, there'll be no more suffering, no more tears, no more brokenness, no more sin. Only everlasting joy. But do we believe it even as we say it? If we do, then then this text in, you know, the, the text here in 2 Corinthians, but the, the text we, we sat in this morning in Colossians makes sense. It shouldn't seem radical to live with all of our cards on the table for the world to see. And the things that the things that cause sin, and shame that may grip us as Christians only happen when we lose sight of how loving God is. How we show Christ in the toughest circumstances is a testament to him when those who don't believe see it lived out. And how we show Christ when our brothers and sisters are struggling with the broken world around us is an extension of the compassionate, loving work of Christ on the cross. So let us take these encouragements from Colossians to heart today. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you humble us all today? Would you allow each of your sons and daughters in this room to more deeply know and trust you as a result of your perfect words here in Colossians. Would you make it easy for us to see when we need to break free from the things of this world? And would you allow us to have that continual taste of what heaven will be like through the communion and fellowship of believers? Lord, would you make us bold and make us tender and loving towards those who do not know you. Lord, would you make our light bright and would you remind us daily that darkness will never overcome. Amen.
0: Let's respond to the word of the Lord by singing this song that echoes the call of Colossians as well as gives us a prayer to pray. Would you please stand as we sing?
2: Amen. amen. Thank you, Kevin, for that word. Right? Where do we find hope in times of trial and of suffering? Uh, do we pray, proclaim Christ uh, even and especially then? Uh, so if you'd like to pray, um, you can come forward. Uh, if you'd like to, to pray for the Oschlager family, you can pray with a prayer team. Um, if you want to pray for the, for the Dorns, um, pray over here. Or uh, you can find myself or or others uh, to pray and to share your requests as well. So the deacons and uh, the welcome team will be at the welcome desk, as always, on Sunday mornings. Uh, Again, thanks for joining in worship. Thank you for being a faithful church. Thank you for faithfully giving, uh, even during the summer months, uh, for coming and to share in the fellowship of Christ that we have together and let's be as a church let's be praying as well for our vacation bible school week as those leaders and as the families prepare for that a really excellent gospel opportunity as well um, our benediction is from hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 hebrews 12 1 and 2 says this therefore since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen. Let's walk by faith this week. May go in peace.